Okay. Can we get weird already? Is that okay? Can this just be a weird one? Let's do it. Hey, folks, I'm on steroids right now, okay? I am continuing this bout of MDDS, which means I'm bobbing and I'm swaying, and I'm bobbing and I'm swaying, and I'm on day 14 of feeling like the earth is not stable. Google it if you need to, MDDS. Google the steroid I'm on if you need to, prednisone. Now, prednisone is supposed to reduce inflammation in my ears. It's not working. It's intensifying everything. I'm complaining out of the gates. Stay with me. Stay with me. It's going to get weird. My neurologist said prednisone for now. If it doesn't work, we'll get you into some benzodiazepines, clonazepam, clonacapan. Here's something that's going to make your world different. Here's something that's going to reduce your sex drive, give you some weight gain, some sleeplessness, some bouts of sadness, some bouts of anger. And maybe just tell us if it's treating the symptoms. This is where you weigh the pros and cons. When you go deep into the world of prescribed medication and then you Google the side effects and then you go, wait, do I just live with the ailment I currently have? That's the conversation you got to have with yourself. Prednisone. All right. Not working at all. I'm sad about that. And when I purchased it at the pharmacy, they say the pharmacist wants to meet with you. And most of the time I go, I'm good. The indications are right there on the bottle. But I met with the pharmacist and she said, okay, just follow these instructions and please do not stop before the cycle is over. I said, okay, seems simple enough. They also want me on a little magnesium and B2 riboflavin. And she said, just one thing could create a little irritability. I said, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. I don't want to be more irritable. And she said, but don't worry. There's still going to be some bouts of hyperactivity to keep you up at night. And I said, God damn it, MDDS. Why have you arrived in my brain? Why have you danced into my ocular nerve and then crawled all over my vestibular system? But... Maybe, just maybe, because I'm on steroids right now, maybe it's a performance enhancer. So maybe... It's a podcast enhancer. Maybe this will be a good one. I don't know. Already feels like it's going to be a weird one. I have too much to say. I don't even know if I could articulate it because I got that brain fog going. Got that brain fog going. Emailing my neurologist. Hey, what do you know? What have you learned? What do you think we should do? Should we shake my brain up? And she'll have that automatic reply out of the office, out of the office. No, get in the office. And then an even more automatic reply. Sir, there's no cure for MDDS. Just go on with your life. It'll probably take another month. But I will remain hopeful and I will remain positive and I will remain grateful. You cannot rob me of those things. Mal dead. Debark mount syndrome. You son of a bitch. Nobody in this world has a truly natural progression of life. That's a transition. Think about this for a moment. The indoctrination begins immediately for every human life. Nobody just hatches in a lab and gets to make decisions for themselves. No. All of our views, your views, my views, these views, these beliefs about the world, about society, about the afterlife, about a higher power, they're usually shaped early. There's not a lot of, hey, create your own views. 
stages in the first part of a kid's life because they ask a lot of questions. Even my daughter, she's already asked questions about, did we used to be apes? What's evolution? She's only four. She's asking these questions. And we usually don't say, I don't know. I don't know. Adults usually have some answers, don't we? Don't adults usually bullshit through some answers? And what answers do we give our kids? I don't know, the ones we Googled or learned ourselves from our elders. Belief systems are interesting. Nobody's having a natural progression of their own life. We arrive into a family with a name. Hey, I'm Josh. Hey, Josh, you're going to be Jewish and you're going to live here and you're going to go to school there. And these are your neighbors. And that's your skin color, and that's your ethnicity, and that's your heritage, and that's your culture. Okay, it's just all given to me on a platter. Great. So what choices do I make? What choices do I make? Think about this. Stay with me. If religion, and I'm not anti-religion, I can see the beauty of religion in many ways, and of course I could see the detriments, but if religion was deprogrammed from everybody's minds, I thought about this the other day. Think about that. Clean slate. It's just deprogrammed from everybody's minds. And then everybody on planet Earth had a blank brain and got to absorb it for the first time. Now, everybody gets to read about every religion and they get to make the choice. Which one do they want? Everybody gets to read about it. You want to read about the Christians, the Catholics, the Jews, the Muslims, Hindus, whatever you like. Just read all the doctrines. Read the Bibles, read the Torahs, read the Talmud, learn about Muhammad, learn about Buddhism, learn about Allah. Learn about Sikh. Learn about any of them. Any of them. There's so many. Who's right? Who's wrong? How do you get saved? How do you have the best afterlife? If everybody today simply got to read every religion's doctrine and then select one, uh, how many clear-headed, uninfluenced people would clamor for any of these? Just curious. You're a blank canvas. Now you're reading all about Jesus and Moses and Allah. And you're reading about the Muslims and the Hindus and the Buddhists. And the question is, so which one do you want to fall into? Well, I think it's obvious. There'd be a lot less Christians. There'd be a lot less Catholics, a lot less Jews, a lot less Muslims, a lot less Hindus, a lot less Muslims. Did I say Muslims twice? If everybody got to make their choice, I mean, there'd be some, but there'd be less. We know that people are just so impressionable. So it works. You press religion into the young and then it works. Group think is an ugly element of society. It's okay. We become united. We all want to be on the winning team and then we become divided. And then we fight and we become united and we want to be on the winning team. And we look for politicians who speak our language and make us promises. Hey, he's promising me money and power and prestige. We could be on the winning team because this is our belief system and they're against us. So they are the other side, the side to demonize. And why did I think about all of this? Because I saw the damn Netflix movie, Don't Look Up. Have you seen it? Don't Look Up. What a cast, by the way. Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill, Jennifer Lawrence, Jennifer Lawrence, Leonardo DiCaprio. Adam McKay is the filmmaker. He did The Big Short. He did Vice. He did Anchorman. He's kind of brilliant. He just shoves satire in our face to show us the idiocy of humankind. And we go, oh yeah, it's kind of easy to see. If it's a comedy, it's kind of easy to just see. Oh, we're a bunch of morons. We ruined this thing. Yeah, we ruined this thing, this planet, this experience. It could still be good on a small level. 
Like you can still do good in your family, do good in your community, do good at your job. But when you take a step back and you look at how we destroyed this thing called Earth, it's kind of obvious that there's no going back. There's no reset button. Watch the movie. It's basically politicians who have the power, Meryl Streep playing the president. They answer to the corporate tycoons. They answer to the donors. They're in the pockets of the people who want to make the money and they avoid taking action against things that you probably should take action against. They deny science. And yes, it could be about COVID. It could be about climate change. Chains? Change. It could be about a lot of different topics. If you watch Don't Look Up, it's worth a discussion because those who have vested interests trying to make a buck off anything can obviously mislead the public. Adam McKay makes it so blatant. It's a meteor coming for Earth. It's a comet on its way to Earth, yet we are divided in how we should approach this. Hmm. Should we look up? Or should we not look up at this comet speeding towards Earth? And we can't even agree on that. So now that we know, some people will never agree. We just have to back away from the movie and go, all right, that's the game we're playing. You don't want to be too discouraged, but when it's just displayed so clearly in front of our eyes, and I don't care if you're on the right or left, but if you watch this movie, you just go, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we failed. And part of the failure is we don't really show any inclination to embrace that word equality and harmony and peace. Some people like to say it. I I wish for equality, but equality means bringing people up from the bottom and allowing people who are on top to kind of drop down to that middle line a little bit. Who wants to drop down? Who wants to drop their status? Nobody to truly help. I started feeling strong feelings about this reading Carmelo Anthony's book. I just finished Carmelo Anthony's memoir and I liked it. He's humble. It's not just about basketball. He grew up in some of the roughest projects in New York and Baltimore, surrounded with crime, surrounded with death. I mean, it sounds like trench warfare when he describes the hood, just things that sound unfathomable which is why I read these books by black athletes and black comedians, not just because I like to read about comedy and sports, but you got to read about culture. It's why I read Jimmy O. Yang's book, a Chinese immigrant who's a comic from Silicon Valley. I like to learn about culture, but with the backdrop of sports and comedy. Cal Penn, an Indian comic. Now I get to learn about Indian culture, but with the backdrop of comedy. So I don't just read athletes' books hoping they're going to tell me about the games in the locker room and their skills, but I like to hear about the cultural differences. And Carmelo lays it out there. He fully understands, look, as a black kid with skills, I was treated differently. And that's a different kind of privilege. He was kind of guided through the projects on a positive path because of his basketball talent. And he was guided out of the inner city. They said, get out of here. You got the type of skills that can make money for you, your friends, your family. Get out of the hood. So he went to a Catholic high school with a bunch of white kids and he was told how to think about God. And he spoke up and they reprimanded him. And he thought, that's interesting because God in my community, the way we talk about Jesus, it's a little different than how they talk about it at this high school, Towson Catholic. And he got in trouble and he wasn't even a troublemaker, just raising your hand and expressing some beliefs that are a little different than what the principal wanted to hear, what the teachers wanted to hear. He soon realized that people can take the doctrine People can take the word of Jesus or the word of God and manipulate it and shape it into how they want people to react to it. And he's thinking, I'm just here for basketball. He knew he was treated differently by all these adults. 
And it exposed him to so many other communities where you got to wonder, why did this happen? Why did this happen? I was born with this skin color, so I live here. But because I can play this game at a high level, now they want me to go to a different high school here with white people. And then I get to go to Syracuse where everyone loves me. They wear my jersey. They want to pay me money. But this is not necessarily positive. In his memoir, he doesn't describe himself as like a sports hero. Instead, it's like a really intellectual view of the sadness that's associated with a lot of the people he knew in the hood who didn't have basketball skills, who got hooked on drugs, who got in trouble, who got arrested, who got killed, who got involved with gangs because there's just not a lot of options. And there's not a lot of emphasis on mental health. Carmelo was depressed. A very depressed individual, but he said the only way I dealt with it was to just treat people well. Good dude. Recommend the book. Another book. All right, this is my book review portion of the podcast. It's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Have you heard of this? The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. I think that's his name. It's a New York Times bestseller. I got a blurb for you. This will make you rethink all your choices. This will make you rethink your viewpoints. All right, follow me with this. Let's see if this is a moment of your life, just listening to this episode, where you feel impacted by a little passage in a self-help book. It says, the desire for more positive experience is itself a negative experience. (gasps) Really? And paradoxically, the acceptance of one's negative experience is in itself a positive experience. And the author says, this is a mind fuck, so I'll give you a minute to unpretzel your brain and maybe read that again. Wanting positive experiences is a negative experience, and accepting negative experiences is a positive experience. It's the backwards law. It's almost the exact opposite of what you see in society. So the more you pursue feeling better all the time, the less satisfied you become. Because pursuing something only reinforces the fact that you lack it in the first place. This is a theory you could disagree, but basically, the more you desperately want to be rich, the more poor and unworthy you feel, regardless of how much money you actually make. The author, Mark Manson, says the more you desperately want to be sexy and desired, the uglier you come to see yourself, regardless of your actual physical appearance. The more you desperately want to be happy and loved, the lonelier and more afraid you become, regardless of those people in your life who surround you. The more you want to be spiritually enlightened, the more self-centered and shallow you become in trying to get there. So in this book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, he's saying, don't try. You'll never be happy if you keep searching for this idea of what happiness consists of. You'll never actually live if you keep looking for the meaning of life. Huh. It's kind of true. As we idealize so many phases of our life, oh, here's where the happiness comes, here's where the happiness comes, then you might not be aware that the happiness already exists, then you might be subtly demeaning the blessings and positives that surround you. All right, there's a blurb. Did that rock your head? Did that rock your world? Did that rock your mind? Or are you thinking, keep going, pal. We know you got a few bullet points. We all read the book. We didn't get that much out of it. It's a decent book. It's a bestseller, but pretty good lesson. It's a pretty good lesson. I've been diagnosed as an idealist, And that's when you suffer, when you look at what your experience as a human should be versus that it just is. And I've also been diagnosed with MDD. We know, pal, you're swaying and you're rocking. It'll go away. Just relax. Just relax. 
hey, we're still in a pandemic. More meetings in the world of public education are now happening on Zoom. We were meeting in person for a little while with masks, of course. Social distancing doesn't really exist anymore, but we were meeting with masks and now we're hearing staff meetings are more on Zoom now. Okay, they're more on Zoom now. So in the last staff meeting, I could tell there were some people that just felt us slipping backwards. Wait, we're back here? How much Zoom are we going to do? That's everyone's fear. Are we going back to Zoom? No, we're not going back to Zoom. We don't want to go back to Zoom. Some parents are pissed already. Some parents are pissed already. You know, the news captures the occasional story of an angry, aggressive parent attacking a teacher for enforcing a mask mandate. You see it on the news probably, what, once a month? Angry parent comes into the office and slaps a principal and says, my daughter doesn't have to wear a mask. And you go, parents are pissed. Well, guess what? Let me tell you something about parents right now. I'm going to tell you something about parents right now. You sitting down for this? Guess what about parents? Here's about parents. I've been a high school teacher for about eight years. You want to know something about parents? They are fucking wonderful. That doesn't make the news. Parents give us holiday gifts and they thank us and they understand most of us are doing our best supporting their kids. Sure, the news is going to grab a shitty story once in a while and make it seem like that's the general consensus of what's happening on campuses. But in my opinion, parents are awesome. Most of them appreciate the teachers. I could be totally wrong, but I feel like so many of these stories I read in the news They're not untrue. They're just a little misleading. Yeah, there's the occasional angry parent. And that happened in the staff meeting. You hear about people in the community that are upset that make a vile phone call, a nasty phone call to an administrator. You better change your ways or else. But I find that to be rare. It just gets magnified. That's why. That's why. I'm reading The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. We can't focus on those parents. Those parents are never going to be happy. And actually, my heart is with them too. When I hear about an angry parent, they just care. I mean, they care in an aggressive way, but they just care about their kid's experience. That's kind of a uniting element on this planet that most parents care about their kids. Not all. I know there's awful parents, but most care. Like if I had an angry teacher, I haven't had many. Actually, I don't think I've had any. Knock on wood. Where's the wood? Where's the wood? I got to knock on some wood. But if I had an angry parent call me, what the hell are you doing? I think I'd have to take a step back and realize, oh, this person just cares about their kid. And then if that parent stormed into my classroom and karate chopped me in my neck, oh, you just did karate into my neck. And that made the news. A local Novato parent karate chops a world history teacher. Plus, the chili cook-off is coming to Grant Street this Friday. But you know people would see that story. Oh, an angry parent Novato karate chopped a world history teacher? And people would think, God, what the hell's happening at that school? You know what's happening? A lot of wonderful parents, too. Put it in the news. What? No one's going to click on it or watch it because people like shitty news and people can't turn away from the bad story. Get off social media. Let's all get off. Get off. Get off social media. Get off that shit today. And if you get off social media, you can spend more time listening to... Sweet music, sweet sounds like Dave Brubeck giving me a little somewhere over the rainbow. Is any movie more associated with a song 
then the Wizard of Oz, and somewhere over the rainbow. I'm going to ask you for a moment. Forget Dorothy. Forget Dorothy. And forget Toto. And forget those witches. And forget the Tin Man. And forget the Cowardly Lion. And forget the Scarecrow. But I'm going to present these lyrics with a little Dave Brubeck jazz version. I'm going to present these lyrics and then drop some potential knowledge. I'm not too confident about dropping knowledge, but potentially drop some knowledge about the man that wrote these lyrics in the late 30s. Yip Harbug, who's the son of Russian immigrant Jews. All right, first, let this get into your system a little bit. Oh yeah, tickle those keys, Davy. I'll just recite. Somewhere over the rainbow, way up high, there's a land I've heard of once in a lullaby. Somewhere over the rainbow, skies are blue, and the dreams you dare to dream really do come true. Don't picture Dorothy, just picture life. Someday I'll wish upon a star and wake up where the clouds are far behind me. High above the chimney tops where troubles melt like lemon drops. That's where you'll find me. Somewhere over the rainbow, blue birds fly. Birds fly over the rainbow. Why then? Oh, why can't I? Beautiful is that rendition? Mr. Dave Brubeck, everybody. Keep it going for Mr. Dave Brubeck. That's a big part of live jazz. To keep it going for who's ever playing. Keep it going for this guy on the trombone. And keep it going for the guy on the trumpet. Keep it going for the guy on the drums. Keep it going for Dave Brubeck on the keys tonight. So like I said, writes this song in 1939. Obviously, you think of Dorothy and Toto and the Tin Man and all that. But I recently read an article that he was getting his inspiration, obviously, by seeing how the Jews throughout Europe were being heavily persecuted and their freedoms were being removed. And then you read the lyrics again, you go, oh, someday I'll wish upon a star and wake up where the clouds are far behind me. Dreams really do come true. Okay, these are people who are just dreaming of a better life, a better existence than watching the rise of the Nazi party remove their citizenship and soon the Holocaust would begin. And he writes this in New York, although his parents are immigrants. So when you see the inspiration for lyrics and music, there's some depth to it. I don't think I could ever hear that song the same way again. Bluebirds fly, fly over the rainbow. Just that wish that you could fly out of your situation. And the hope, that's what I read, is that the song's about hope. Not saying, oh, woe is me, or oh, this is the worst, but just remaining hopeful. And there's no way to spin the Holocaust as a positive. But it's still interesting when you hear from the survivors who stayed hopeful. These are the people you got to listen to. The people that have been through so much adversity, but when you meet them, they're still smiling. They're still happy to still be breathing above ground. People that can endure, process, Process is a big part of it. Utilize all the tools to remain resilient and then still say, all right, 
I'm going to live out my days with the most joyful disposition I could possibly create for myself. It's just impressive. It's just impressive. Because I do think the human condition is to be resilient, but it's also to suffer. It's also to suffer quite a bit. It's almost to the point, I know this sounds weird to say, but it's almost to the point where when I'm in a good mood, I also have a simultaneous understanding that it's fleeting. I don't arrive in a good mood. Like a good mood is couch time with my wife at night when the kids are asleep and there's a good show on and we pour a glass of wine and I go, "Ah, this moment, and we're both healthy, nobody has a cold, nobody's too stressed, nobody has a big fat zit at the end of their nose. And that moment I don't look at and go, and this is how I should live every moment. You look at it and go, all right, embrace it. It's passing. And that I think is healthy. I think that's what mindfulness is. And I think that's the end of this episode. And I think I love you. And I think I need some meds because I'm done with this shit. I'm done swaying, folks. Drop a review on iTunes. Check out the book, Suddenly Facing Reality. You can buy that on Amazon. I think that's the only thing you could buy on Amazon. I read that recently. Amazon's going to shut it down. They are done selling items, but you can still check out my book, Suddenly Facing Reality. They'll still be selling that. And also check me out on Twitter where I don't tweet and I should stop telling you to check me out on Twitter. It's just part of the cue cards that my producer is holding up. Hal, we don't need it, you sick bastard. Oh, Hal doesn't need that treatment. Come on. Anywho, this episode 169, it's in the books. Folks, I'll talk to you soon, I hope. (laughs) 